Will you pray with me? God, we just ask uh, for your presence here this morning. God, we know that you're here uh, before us, around us, behind us. Uh, we just ask, God, that you would speak to us through, uh, through your word, uh, that this might find some fertile soil in our hearts, that you would lead us to following you just a little bit more closely because of our gathering here today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, newborn babies are not generally very threatening. They really don't scare too many people, maybe with the notable exception of their parents. Um, But I just actually, I was sitting next to a a little baby the other day, uh, coaching a game of basketball. A friend of mine had his baby there, and the girls on my team were all interested, so they gathered around, and he said, who wants to hold him? And the couple girls were like, well, I do, but I've never held a baby before. And he goes, I don't care, here you go. And they each just grabbed him and took their turn holding uh, the baby, which was really pretty cool. Uh, Babies are cute, they're cuddly. This Christmas story that we just looked at a little bit more in depth, that we just kind of lived through again, it just seems so perfect and so peaceful. This beautiful baby boy born under the stars, listening to angelic choirs sing his praise. It's this really beautiful and happy event. But in Jesus' story, we're going to actually move very quickly from peaceful to painful, this baby was an immediate threat to the most powerful man in the region. And so it was the time of King Herod after Jesus was born. These wise men from the east observed the star in the sky that told them where the king of the Jews had been born. So they set out to find this king, and when they find him, they're just overwhelmed with joy. They open up their treasure chests. They lavish them with fine gifts. Well, Herod, too, sought the location of this newborn king, but with purposes far more sinister. And this is where we pick up the biblical story today, that the birth of Jesus and the start of this new year, they offer us hope, they offer us new possibilities, they offer us a new beginning. And so we listen to these words from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 13 to 24. And the story reads like this. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. The word of the Lord. 
So one of the most influential Christian thinkers of our time, his name was John R. Stott, and he said something that made me think. He said, if you read the Bible, you're going to see that nobody who ever met Jesus, anyone who ever encountered Jesus in Scripture, actually had a moderate reaction to him. He said that there's three possible reactions and responses to Jesus that we find in Scripture. He said that people are either going to run away in fear, they're going to try to kill him in anger, or they're going to bow down in complete surrender and devotion. And then a pastor in New York, Tim Keller, some of you may have read some of his books, in line with John Stott, he said something similar. He said that when we must realize that the only possible way to respond to Jesus is extremely. And so the two of them are in agreement. They're both pointing out something that's kind of this obvious problem in American Christianity that simply liking Jesus or being a fan of Jesus is a tough position to be in if we understand and we really know who he is, who the scriptures are saying that Jesus is. And so if we know who Jesus is, John Stott with Tim Keller would say, we're either going to run away, we're going to respond with vehement hostility, or we're going to offer him our lives. And so the Magi understood this, the wise men. They understood this, but interesting reality in this story is so did King Herod. Together, they represent two of the three authentic reactions to Jesus. And so the Magi show up with worship in their hearts. The Magi, this is really fascinating, these guys. They're probably, well, they're definitely foreigners. They're probably from Babylonia, which would be in modern-day Iraq. They're outsiders in race. They're Gentiles. They're also outsiders in profession, as they were these astronomer-astrologer folks who took their meaning from the stars. And so to many, they would have been considered wise men, but to the people of Israel, they would have been seen as idolaters. Every other reference to magi in the Bible is unfavorable, except for this one. Israel despised the magicians and astrologers of the Gentiles. To the Israelites, then, these astrologers, these magi, these wise men, would have been the least deserving people to be invited to Jesus' birthday party. And yet, not only did they receive an invitation, but in God's great kindness, were led to the king. And at Jesus' birth, these wise men, following the brightness of the star, they find the baby Jesus, they fall down, they pay him homage, they give their gifts. And the fascinating thing is, is that God invited the wrong people to the party. And yet, the wrong people in this story, are the ones that actually get it right. By contrast, we have Herod. He doesn't come with worship on his heart. He comes with murder in his mind. He's in a totally different place. And the historical Herod the Great was a really interesting guy. He was racially Arab. He was religiously Jewish. He was culturally Greek. And he was politically Roman. He is a mix of all kinds of interesting things. He's also insane. (laughs) He killed his own wife and three of his own sons just to stay in power. Caesar Augustus at the time actually said, a quote is saying, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. And this was very close to the truth. To Herod, Jesus evokes hatred, not worship. Because of the claim king of the Jews, Herod 
was the king of the Jews. Propped up by Caesar Augustus to rule over the Jews, and Herod would not tolerate a rival. And so Herod heard the same message that the wise men heard, and yet his response couldn't be more different. He heard about the good news of the birth of a king, but he could think of nothing else but how to get rid of this threat as quickly as possible. And so the Magi knew that Herod had bad intentions, and they deliberately went home by another route so that Herod wouldn't be able to find out where the baby Jesus was. Having been tricked by the wise men, he devises this plan to kill all children in and around the city of Bethlehem under the age of two. And so doing a little bit of research based on what we know about the population of Bethlehem at the time, it's probably likely that 20 to 30 innocent kids lost their life on that particular day. And as I was thinking about it, maybe the most thought-provoking thing I learned was actually reflecting on a song that we sang on Christmas Eve, Joy to the World. Between Thanksgiving and today, we've probably heard this song about a hundred (laughs) times. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Now, if you're like me, you mindlessly hummed and whistled, sang these lyrics without giving them too much thought. After all, it's probably one of the most recognizable songs in the world. Herod was a maniac, for sure, but he rightly understood that Jesus was a king. And as painful and wrong as his response was, it is one of the three authentic human responses that we see all over Scripture. He understood what many people today who sing these uh, lyrics kind of thoughtlessly, he understood what sometimes we don't. Not only did he correctly understand who it was that was born that day, but his understanding actually put Jesus and other innocent children at risk. He couldn't and wouldn't receive Earth's new king. I once heard it said that in every human heart, there's a little King Herod. And when I first heard that statement, I laughed. I thought it was pretty funny. Because in my mind, I picture like a bobblehead doll of Herod the Great. And that's just the way my mind works. But then as I was thinking about it, uh, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of thought, maybe there's something to this idea. Herod isn't just the villain in the story. But I think what Matthew's trying to tell us is that there's something in human nature, something in the human heart that resists this claim that Jesus is Earth's rightful king. Sovereign not only over the world, but over our lives. We all like to be the captain of our own destiny, the Lord of our own lives, and Jesus can be perceived as a threat to our autonomy. And in this regard, I think, is what Matthew is saying, the spirit of Herod is very much alive today, tempting us to resist the rule of the king in favor of ruling over ourselves. And so God warns Joseph in a dream that this maniac is coming for his son. He urges him to take his family to Egypt where they will be safe. Now, normally in the Bible, this should, be, this should raise some red flags, Egypt. Normally in the Bible, Egypt is very, has very negative connotations as the nation that enslaved God's people. Why in the world do they go to Egypt? It's because by the time of Jesus, things have changed. There was actually an amicable relationship at the time between Israel and Egypt. There was even a huge expatriate community of up to a million Jews living in Alexandria. 
And so Mary and Joseph, the baby, they head on to hide out among their own people living in Egypt until the threat has passed. I find this absolutely amazing that before Jesus can walk, before he can talk, he is a homeless refugee child with a price on his head. And as I thought about this, I started looking into the refugee crisis today, noting that half of the world's refugees today are children, despite the fact that they make up less than a third of the global population. In these new and ongoing global conflicts, especially in the last five years, we've seen a spike in refugee kids, 75% increase, putting children, refugee children, 8 million of them in the world. 8 million refugee kids at risk in the world, at risk of horrible things like human trafficking. Half of all child refugees come from one of two countries, Syria and Afghanistan. It's just absolutely mind-boggling numbers. And to think about this, that if Jesus were born today, he would be born among these 8 million refugee children. I find that to be a very sobering thought. And so Jesus' family responds to Herod's plan of murder, and the plan is full of a lot of deep meaning for Matthew, who wrote this story. Jesus' journey in Matthew chapter 2 is not an accident. It retraces almost the same path that Israel took when they fled from Egypt and Pharaoh after Pharaoh let them go. And so the prophet Hosea that Matthew was quoting was talking about this journey. He applies this to Jesus, who in Matthew's mind is like a second Moses, that Jesus will return to Israel, as was foretold by the prophet Hosea, when he said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And so he's hinting at the fact that Jesus is coming out of Egypt to deliver his people in a far greater way than Moses could have ever dreamed of. And what Matthew seems to be saying is that Jesus is coming back to Israel from Egypt to fulfill the historical mission of Israel. But in Jesus, humanity has this representative before God who does what Israel was supposed to have been doing all along. Israel was chosen to be a light to the nations, and where Israel would fail, Jesus would succeed. Jesus would succeed in showing the world who God is and what God was like, and that Jesus would come and deliver his people from not just from Egyptian slavery, but from the power and the problem of sin. And so here, the Son of God in this story is just this helpless refugee child who has to be rescued from certain death by fleeing his birthplace and going into hiding in a foreign country. Then word finally comes that Herod has died and Joseph and his family are to return to Israel and settle in the small town of Nazareth. And the question that we should ask is, why Nazareth? Joseph most likely wanted to go to Judea, probably to Jerusalem, to settle there, to raise Jesus there, wanting the best for his family. Joseph probably wanted to go to Judea because Galileans were looked down upon as these backwards hicks. Nazareth was so obscure that when the first century Jewish historian Josephus named all the towns in Galilee, the town Nazareth is never even mentioned. Nazareth was a nothing of a town. And I think that Matthew wants us to consider that a person from Nazareth is really a nobody. Jesus, this baby born and raised in lowly circumstances, who came to take a low place in history, 
with us and for us. And so when I thought about it, I thought it tells us something about salvation. That God didn't come to save the proud and the strong and those who think that they have it all together. That God seeks us out, that God came to find and to save in weakness. To save those who would admit their real need for the king. That things like talent and race and prosperity and status are meaningless to God. God gave all that up when Jesus was raised in Nowhereville like Nazareth. And so from Jesus' birth, we know that one thing is certain. Many people found Jesus to be a threat. This newborn baby born into these chaotic historical times actually provoked fear in many. It was anything but peaceful and quiet. Instead of sitting down to a nice prime rib dinner like I did with my family on Christmas, Jesus is a homeless refugee with a contract out on his life. And when the world was in misery, this sent king doesn't arrive on the scene living the good life. This story reminds us that for Jesus to live, innocent children had to die at the hands of Herod. And so we have this real pain and real suffering for those who lost children on that day. And we've got some foreshadowing going on because Jesus, too, would suffer greatly, unimaginably. We have the end in mind. And the cross is already in the picture this early, that Jesus would become the suffering servant, God's rescue plan to right all things wrong. And so as innocent children suffered that Jesus might live, an innocent Jesus would suffer and die on the cross for humanity to live. And so we have one king, but we have two completely different responses. And so together, the Magi and Herod represent humanity's need for grace, need for the child who represents humanity's salvation. So on the one hand, we have this human problem, but on the other hand, we're presented with this baby, the divine solution to our problem. The Magi represent a lost and wandering humanity, a people that worship the stars. They're lost by their very nature, but it's interesting that God calls the lost, and these lost choose to follow, offering Jesus their very best gifts that they have. And so Herod represents our willful choice to resist the king. And it's so easy in this story to paint Herod out as the bad guy. But I really believe that Matthew's intentions are that we recognize those same tendencies in our own lives, the ways that we too resist the king and try to hold on to control over our own lives. And so the question remains, which response will be yours. We can respond in fear and anger like Herod, or we can respond with the devotion of the Magi. And so, of course, my prayer is that like the Magi, we might offer Jesus our very best in 2017. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, it's hard to imagine the baby Jesus as a hunted and homeless refugee child. The story makes us mindful of all the children in the world who are displaced from their homes and in need. 
God, help us to respond to the birth of Jesus by offering our very best gifts. And may our gifts make a tangible difference in the lives of hurting people. Amen.